Who here gets a little uh, angry when they're hungry? Hangry, you know? Okay, so like 12 of you. You know, you feel a little off, you're a little more irritable. Then you eat something and you're a totally different person. It's a Snickers, right? The Snickers commercial. Um, who here has a spouse that gets hangry but doesn't know it or won't admit it? See, probably more hands on that one than the previous one. See, Allison raised her hand, but the truth is, um, I know that I can get a little hangry. It did take me a little while to recognize it, though, and maybe that's why she raised her hand. Right, I get angry. Well, I'm not really an angry person, but I get irritable. uh, Then later, I'd feel better, and I'm like, I don't know what happened. And Allison would be like, you ate. You know? And then I'd be irritable, and Allison would be like, here's some food. And then I'd feel better, you know. And then I'd be hangry, and she'd say, "Uh, have you eaten anything? You know? And then finally, like, I get to the point where I'm like, it's starting to sink in. Starting to learn. I'm a little slow, but starting to learn. So now I'm like, oh, I might be hangry. I might need to eat something. You know, so that's one of the first things I think now. If I'm like, I feel off. Do I need to eat? No. I don't know if you guys are like me and being a little slow to understand something like that. Multiple times until it finally takes root, and then I still mess up. We're often slow to learn these lessons, even ones that are pretty obvious. What we see in Daniel is that the Lord is the king of heaven. He is the king of all things. He moves and sets up kings. Nothing happens apart from his will. And yet we still act like we're in control. Like, shouldn't we have learned this by now? Shouldn't we have recognized this? Like, we still think we can manipulate the situation, that we can uh, do things just right to make it come out how we want. Like, we can be the ruler of our own domains. Nebuchadnezzar is learning this lesson for at least the third time in this book. Right? Still going and going and going. He's slow to understand. So let's look at what he's coming to know as we look at Daniel 4. We're going to look at verses 1 to 18 this morning. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to, show, good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who is named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of earth, and its height was great. 
The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Believe the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. This is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing on in the book of Daniel today. We've been in it few weeks now um, since the fall and continuing on into the new year. And in these first four chapters, Nebuchadnezzar's the king. And so this is actually his last chapter on the scene here. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon who conquered Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. He took exiles out of there and dragged them back to Babylon. We heard about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are trained in their university, trained in the way of the Babylonians and serve in their court. Daniel's one of them. And as we've talked about, the question back and forth has been this kind of contrast between Nebuchadnezzar and his power and God and his power. Who's the real king? It's kind of what's been going on back and forth as we've been going through this. And so in chapter 2, we had Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. There was a statue with, he was the head of gold, and then there are three other metals. And this stone comes in and just shatters it, and it's blown away in the wind. And that stone is the kingdom of heaven that grows to fill the earth, right? None of his wise men could say what the dream was. None of them could interpret it, but Daniel does. And he says, there is a God who will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And Nebuchadnezzar responds. He says, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. Gets that lesson. Then in the last chapter... Nebuchadnezzar builds this golden image, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, this little golden needle. And he commands everyone in his kingdom, all the leaders, to worship it, to bow down and worship. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't. They say, we won't worship anyone but our God. He alone is worthy of worship. So Nebuchadnezzar says, he's angry and yelling at them. He says, who's the God who's able to deliver you? No one. And they respond, our God is able And our God will do it. Then he throws them in the fire. And their God does deliver them. He enters into it and goes through the fire with them. And his response is, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The most high God. Right? So he gets the lesson again. 
The one true and living God has been shown to him multiple times now, but he still doesn't get it. He's still your God, Daniel. He's still the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's not my God. Chapter 4 here is taking, about, taking place about 30 years after chapter 2. It's been a little while. God's been working and doing these things. And um, chapter 4 kind of all goes together. It's all one story. You see these kind of bookends in um, verses 1 to 3 and then verses 34 to 37. Kind of tie the chapter together and show what it's about. And in this chapter we have another dream. And then the dream being interpreted and then the dream being fulfilled. And so we're going to divide it up in, um, you're going to hear this chapter over three sermons. So this week, next week, we have the privilege of having James Lima, who used to be part of Emmaus Road here, who's planning a church in Stevens Point. He'll be here preaching next week. The week after that, we'll be picking up with the interpretation um, and then into the fulfillment of the dream. So we're going to spend the next three out of the next four Sundays in this chapter, um, looking at it in those ways. And the question kind of we're looking at today is what would it, take for someone like Nebuchadnezzar to know God for himself? What would it take for some of us? We're going to look at this first part this morning, so let's dive in. In verses 1 to 3, we get this kind of preamble, and it's this address to the whole world. It's a message Nebuchadnezzar is sending to all peoples, nations, and languages. That's the same list of the groups that were at the end of the previous chapter, Right, the ones who were um, threatened not to speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But now it's not a message of threat. It's a message of blessing. He says, peace be multiplied to you. Now, if you've been tracking with us so far, um, this is a little out of left field. Usually, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, offering to tear you limb from limb and tear your houses down or he's offering to throw you into a burning, fiery furnace, right? He's a pretty brutal guy, and now he's proclaiming peace. Bit of a reversal there. Why is he writing this? It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. So what he's saying is I'm actually sharing my testimony here. He's making this public profession to the world, to all people, about what God has done for him personally. This is his testimony. And it's pretty fascinating because nothing in this chapter like paints him in a good light. None of it's uh, fun. And yet this powerful king wants to tell the world. If you're familiar with Constantine, the story of he has this dream and he puts the Cairo, um, the symbol for Jesus, first two letters in Greek of Jesus on the shields. And then he wins this battle, right? And that's his conversion story. That's one you want to share, right? God showed me this and I won and here we are. Not this. And yet he's changed. And so he wants to proclaim it to the world. This chapter kind of alternates back and forth a little bit um, from being first person to third person from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective too, which is really interesting. Um, 
a chapter of God's word here is written by a Babylonian king. It's a really fascinating thing. And we see the end result, why he's writing this. Says, God has intervened in my life with these signs and wonders. And by the end of it, he finally gets it. He finally understands that only God's kingdom is everlasting. That only his dominion endures. That God is the one true king. So how does this arrogant king get there? Let's look at it. He begins, and he's doing well. In verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. So it's going, it's going well at home and at work, right? It's on top of the world. But then there's this change, this kind of inciting incident there. I saw a dream that made me afraid. And as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So this dream kind of scares him. And he can't go back to sleep. Maybe you've had that happen to you. Lucy was sick this week and I think she had a fever dream. Um, she woke up screaming and I went in there and um, she's still freaking out a little bit about it. So I get her drink of water, lay with her for a minute and you try to explain to a three-year-old who doesn't dream what a dream is. <laughs> they think they're living real life in it, right? So it's something we can see, and it feels real, and it can be scary. But you're just sleeping. It's not actually happening right there, right? And in our modern Western view, that's uh, really all there is to it. There's never anything more than that. We act as if there's nothing transcendent, nothing beyond what we can see and touch and feel. It's just the synapses of our brain firing off. But that's not how Nebuchadnezzar views it, right? And those in the ancient Near East thought of dreams as kind of these windows into the future. They would show what's coming and he's to respond accordingly, and even today, many outside, especially outside the West, are open to dreams being able to reveal truths. Right? For, there are hundreds of documented cases of Muslims coming to faith because of dreams. Where Christ appears in them, or God's word is proclaimed to them in it. Right? I'm not saying we need to try to interpret every dream. My, name's Joseph. My middle name's Joseph, though, so maybe I should start. But... Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm not saying they all mean something, but I'm saying they could. Right? I think there are about 15 to 20 in the Bible, um, so it's not unheard of, but I think a lot of them don't really mean anything. God enters in sometimes, but then sometimes it's the natural faculties of our body functioning. What I am saying is that there is a transcendent God, that there actually is a spiritual realm beyond what we can see and touch and feel. And it is real. And it breaks into our natural world. We feel the breezes of it, what Charles Taylor calls the imminent frame, where we're constrained to viewing everything as being part of this natural order, where nothing is outside of that, where everything is cause and effect. And yet we get these glimpses of something more. 
We feel this yearning for something more, that there are these breezes of transcendence that flow through, that God intervenes in different ways. A couple of years ago, someone gave us an Amazon Echo, one of the Alexa things, you know, and some uh, plugs that go with it, and we put our, the, the Alexa is in our kitchen, and then we put the plugs on Lucy's lamp in her bedroom, and then a lamp in the uh, living room. And Lucy can operate Alexa now, which is crazy to me. Um, like, I can't understand her sometimes, and it understands her. And, and I looked up, it's crazy, you can't program it to ignore a certain voice. I feel like you should be able to, but you can't. All you can do is change the, the wake word. You can say, instead of saying, hey, Alexa, you say, like, hey, abracadabra, you know. But she'll catch on to that. She knows. That's a digression, though. Um, when she was smaller, and it couldn't understand her at that point, and she didn't really know how it worked. Now she knows you go yell to the thing, and it does it, right? But she didn't know how it worked at the time. So she would run into her room, and she'd say, Yaksa, yamp! <laughs> right? And it, it obviously it doesn't do it. And so she'd yell it again. So we also have it on our phones where we can control it there. So it was kind of um, funny. So we'd hear her doing it, and then we'd push the button so she thinks she's doing it. Right? But it got to the point where anything automated, she would yell for Alexa to do it. We were at the Atlanta airport uh, at the, the plane train. Right? And she's there. Yaksa, open doors! Right? It's only like two-minute wait between trains, too. So, like, if she yells a few times, it's going to end up happening. So, uh, she brought it about, you know? I think of some of us are a lot like Lucy. And we think we're doing it. We think we're making everything happen. We don't realize that while we're yelling at it, there's actually someone else pushing the button. just us and we have control. Nebuchadnezzar is not that far off from us on that, but I think he's got a leg up on us sometimes. He's similar because he thinks he's the man. He can do what he wants. He can bring it about. He's got himself to where he is. But he's frightened by this dream because he understands that there are things beyond him he doesn't believe in the one true God, but he understands that there are gods, that there is something transcendent beyond this imminent frame. But we live in the age of science, right? Post-enlightenment. We don't have to believe in those silly superstitions. There are reasons for everything that happens. If we don't know why, it's just because we haven't learned that yet, but we'll get there. We'll be able to explain it all. Just hasn't learned it yet. That's the atmosphere we live in, isn't it? It's the air we breathe. Even as Christians, we don't realize how we live day to day and minute to minute as if there's nothing beyond us. It's like the fish in David Foster Wallace's famous commencement speech. You've heard that. There's an older fish comes along and is passing two younger fish swimming in the opposite direction. He nods his head and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And they keep going. 
After a little while, the two fish, one looks at the other and says, what the heck is water? (laughs) He doesn't say heck, though. You know, we're at church, so. (laughs) It's all around us, so we don't even realize it. Like a fish in water. We can believe in our minds God is real. We can believe everything that we just confessed in the Apostles' Creed about who Jesus is and what he's done. And then we can live like functionally there is no God. Like there's nothing outside of us. And we don't realize that he's actually at work all around us. He's actually at work in us, even in our successes, where it looks like we're the cause of things going well. We're more like Lucy yelling at Alexa while her parents are pushing the button. There is a God. He is real. He intervenes in this world. More than intervening, Scripture tells us that he's upholding it by the very word of his power. He's directing it and disposing it where and how he will. And he intervenes in our individual lives, too. God is not dead. God is not absent. Will you allow yourself to actually see that? To recognize it? Will you acknowledge it and live in light of it? That we live before the face of God. It might wake us up a little bit. That's what God does to Nebuchadnezzar. He wakes him up. He shakes him with this dream that scares him. How does Nebuchadnezzar respond? Look at verse 6. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. So he brings in the wisdom of his vast empire. It's kind of like he did in chapter 2. But in chapter 2 he said, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to tell me the dream and the interpretation. If you don't, I'll tear you apart. This time he tells him the dream. And what's the result? The end of verse 7. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. Now, I actually appreciate the humility of these wise men here in not interpreting it. Now, they uh, might have had a pretty good idea. We'll see in a minute that the big picture is fairly obvious. But they don't venture a guess. And they may not have because they didn't think the king wanted to hear it. We'll see in a couple weeks that uh, Daniel didn't really want to say it either. But he does. Or maybe they didn't want to venture a guess knowing that Daniel would be able to correct it. We don't really know. Um, Either way, they don't venture a guess. They say, we can't make known to you the interpretation. I wish some of the people around us were a little more like that sometimes. (laughs) These days, everyone's an expert. Everyone's wise. It takes like 30 seconds of scrolling on Instagram to find out from some developmental expert what I'm doing wrong in my parenting and how I'm scarring my child for life. And then if you scroll about 30 more seconds, you'll find a counterpoint from another expert that says something different about how I'm 
still scarring my child for life. <laughs> they don't work together. Everyone's giving you their interpretation, their prescription to solve your problem. Almost no one says, I don't know. Parenting's an easy example because no one agrees and it's crazy how much people want to tell you what you need to do. <laughs> so many contradictory things. And if you don't do it just right and your kids end up messed up, that's your fault, right? So that's uh, easy pickings, low-hanging fruit, something many of us are dealing with. But it's the same across the board. Whatever that area is that you're working on, whatever you're worried about, whatever keeps you up at night, whatever gives you anxiety about the future, there are people more than happy to tell you how to fix it, how to do it right. The question is, where do we go for wisdom? Do we go to the Instagram experts, to the self-help section? If I could just know more, if I could do better, if I could be better, I could make it happen. I could make myself secure. I wouldn't need to be afraid. I'm not saying that there aren't practical things to do. I'm not saying that there's nothing that we can't learn from any of those things. Wherever we find truth, it's God's truth. It belongs to him. We can praise God for it and implement it. I'm not saying eschew everything that's out there. And we should work hard. We should use our minds and the gifts God's given us for his glory. But I am saying if we're looking for wisdom, we'd usually be better off going somewhere else. Because do you know what most of those things don't acknowledge? That there's a God who is active and working. That we're sinners and can't earn our salvation. That even if we succeed, it means nothing if we're still separated from God. That while, yes, our kids are developing, they're sinners too. <laughs> that there are spiritual realities and spiritual warfare that's actually happening. That you don't actually run the universe, but you can be safe and secure in the one who does. They don't acknowledge any of that. Yet that's foundational for what it looks like to live wisely in God's world. The wisdom of the world is foolishness. We'd usually be better off if the wise men, um, if they'd follow the wise men here and not offer up their interpretation. But there is a source of wisdom, knowledge, and truth. Now in verse 8, Daniel comes in, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Again, Nebuchadnezzar's on the right track. He's not quite there yet, but he's on the right track. He says, the spirit of the holy gods. We know the reality. In whom is the spirit of the one true and living God? Right? And he tells him the dream. And he says, because of the spirit that's in you, no mystery is too hard for you. 
You can give me the interpretation. He kind of repeats it again after he says the dream in verse 18. He says, all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able. For the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Do you want to know true wisdom? Do you want to know how you should be thinking about and approaching whatever is going on in your life? It needs to come from God. The one who knows and reveals all mysteries. And where do we see that? In his word, the Bible, Peter tells us that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation or was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God has spoken to us by his Spirit right here. Why would we go to the self-help section before we go here? You can go to those other things, but we need to be saturated by the truth first, that we can discern error, that we can acknowledge what is true and good and reject what is not. But we won't know that if we don't know this. And James tells us, Chapter 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask graciously, or let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith. Go to God and he will give it to you, but ask in faith. God has also poured his spirit into his people. If you are united to Christ, you have his spirit in you even now same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you now. See that with Daniel. Sinful and imperfect though he was and though we are, yet he gives us wisdom. Why would we not seek counsel with his ministers, with his body, in his church, under the authority of scripture instead of going to social media or whatever talking head we look at on whatever screen we use. Who's discipling you? Who are you following? He goes back to recognizing that God is real. God is active. God intervenes. God has given his spirit to guide us. Will we seek his wisdom and guidance? Or will we seek the wisdom of the world that is foolishness? How is God working on Nebuchadnezzar so he shakes him awake with this dream? And then he shows him the failure of earthly wisdom. Let's see what this message was. We're going to look at the interpretation next week, but we do see the dream itself, or in two weeks, we see the dream itself this morning, and there are two sections of it. In verses 10 to 12, it's this vision that shows this great tree that reaches up to the heavens, that's visible from the whole earth, that gives food to all, that gives shelter to all animals, that the birds can all make their nests in it. And then in verses 13 to 17, where a watcher says, a holy one, that's an angel, comes down from heaven, and then he speaks. The rest of it, where it was previously this 
vision of this tree growing and the food and the animals. Now it's a command, it's words. The angel speaks, he commands, chop the tree, leave the stump, bind it with iron and bronze. And then it becomes clear that he's talking about a man. Let his mind be changed to that of a beast. I said, we'll get into it later more. But right now, I just want to highlight verse 17. The sentence is, By the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know the details of the dream or what they mean or represent, but it's overall thrust like, couldn't really be any clearer. It's pretty obvious what's happening. Without someone interpreting, he doesn't really need someone to come tell him that. Like, someone big is getting cut down. And why? That the living may know that the Most High rules. That He rules the kingdom of men. That He's the one who sets the rulers in place. Right? Might not be a message he wants to hear, but it's pretty obvious what's happening there. In the coming weeks, we'll see that Nebuchadnezzar is brought low. He then looks up to heaven and is restored to an even better kingdom. But God does what he wants, he sets over the kingdom whom he will. The lowliest of men. Right? By the end of it, we're wondering, does this mean we should just get ahead of the game and humble ourselves so that we'll get it, so we can have it, right? Um, we should humble ourselves. But not for that purpose. Not so we, we can get power out of it. If that's what we're doing, we're just trying to work the system all over again. We're just trying to play the game. But if we humble ourselves because we recognize that we have no reason to boast, that we have no reason to be prideful, that we have what we have only by the grace of God, then we're just seeing ourselves rightly. So we see here, even with Nebuchadnezzar, see the grace of God, as brutal as he was, as powerful as he was, conquering everything and everyone, he only had his kingdom because God gave it to him. He didn't make it happen. God gave it to him. We might look at that and look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, that's not fair. For this man, who enslaved God's people, who was known for his brutality, why should he get that? He doesn't deserve that. You're right, he doesn't. But isn't that how the grace of God works? Isn't that what he's done for you? What do you deserve? 
Bible says we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we deserve death because we've rejected his rule and reign over our lives. And what does he offer us? Life. The opposite. He gives us life through the death and resurrection of his son. He offers you the inheritance of a heavenly kingdom, an eternal kingdom, one that is everlasting. We don't deserve that. But he offers it to us. What do you have to do to get it? Meet some quota? No. Do enough good things? No. Be religious enough? No. Read your Bible enough? No. None of that. Trust in Jesus, in what He's done. He's already done everything. You just receive it as a gift. You say, it is your grace, God. I don't deserve it. I shouldn't have it. And yet you are good to me. That's what grace is. God is the king. He rules the kingdom of men. And he is a merciful and gracious king. He's one you can trust. He's one you can give your life to. Because he is powerful, but he's also good. And he shows us his goodness, mercy, and love in Christ. We see this most clearly in his death and resurrection, what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Where we see that this king who rules over all has actually made himself low. He's made himself the lowliest in the person of Jesus to save his people, that they might have an inheritance, that they might have life. He tells us he is one who is gentle and lowly in heart, one who takes our burdens and gives us rest. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, before the crucifixion, the people are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. They want this earthly power. They want this earthly king who will come in, conquer the Romans, cast them out so that they can have their piece of land, so that they can rule again, so that they can be independent. But he totally subverts this expectation. Instead of lifting himself up with earthly power, which he could do, he could have done that. But he did something better. Instead of lifting himself up to be king there in Jerusalem at that time, he let himself be lifted up on a cross. Conquering not the Romans, but sin and death. He was brought low. that we might be redeemed. It's this inverted kingdom. Be reminded of that afresh here, that Christ died and his body was buried as we profess 
earlier, it looked like hope was lost. But then he rose again from the dead on the third day. And no matter what is going on in your life right now, no matter how hard it is, how dark it looks, and that's, I'm not saying that's not real. It is. But light is coming. The king still reigns. And one day he will come again to set things right. Right. 